Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. <laughs> I was watching all of the backgrounds they were using here. There was snow everywhere. And I wondered if that was like a subliminal message, like somebody was hoping for it or somebody was hoping that that would be enough that we wouldn't have to have any. How many people are missing snow? I need to change my sermon title right now. (laughs) How many of you are praising the Lord and feeling like we're living in his favor right now? There you go. There you go. Yeah, God's... God's been good to us. So, we've been talking about origin stories. Abraham's and yours and mine. Because if you know your story, the story of how you became you and what God is doing in your life, then you can work on your legacy. So we're spending five weeks on this. And in the fifth week, September 12th, Super Bowl Sunday, by the way, we're going to have one service all together, and we're going to finish talking about the idea of legacy. Like, how is it that we create that legacy? But First, we're talking about story and origins and how you became you. Last week, we talked about this simple idea that life is hard, but it's where it's hard that God is often writing the story. But today, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about a test. Don't worry, it's not a test you have to go out and take. It's a test you've probably already taken. And I got good news and bad news. You've probably passed the test a few times. You've probably failed the test a few times. There are pop quizzes, midterms, what feels like big finals. That'll all make sense by the time we're done. But the truth is, It's a test, and it's an important one in how we become who we are and who God made us to be. You see, in Abraham's story, it doesn't take very long for him to get to this test. Not long at all. And I'll give you the end of it. He doesn't do great. I mean, here he is. He's the, I mean, last week, he is the man. He hears the call of God. He doesn't come from a God-fearing people is. His family were worshipers of other gods, the moon god of Ur, and and yet somehow this man by faith leaves the lap of luxury and follows God into the middle of nowhere. We've already said life is hard. What that means is sometimes the journey goes in unexpected places. That's where we pick it up. Genesis chapter 12, we're still in the same chapter, Let me just read it to you because the story reads well and I could retell it, but reading it will get to the details quicker. Starting in verse 10, it says, At that time, 
a severe famine. So Abraham is struck out, right? He's, he's headed out with his family and his livestock, his whole, his whole enterprise. I mean, this is a, this is a movement. This isn't like, you know, put everybody in the back of a station wagon and do a cross country road trip. This is like, move the whole, all the servants, all the workers, all the cattle, all the livestock. Here we go. And then it says, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt. So already he's on a detour and he heads to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now here's the test. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, <laughs> you are a very beautiful woman. That's a good way to start right there, gentlemen. <laughs> That's about the last good thing he says, though. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please, you know, tell them you're my sister. And treat me well because of their interest in you. It wasn't completely false. She was his half-sister, but Abram knows what he's doing, and he knows the consequences. And sure enough, verse 14, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into his palace. Let me give you the interpretation there. She was added to the king's harem. Mm -mm -mm. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's winning, but it's not a good look. But the Lord sent terrible plagues. Many commentators believe that this, these were, um, how do you say, STDs. I'm going to leave it right there. Upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, it doesn't tell us all the back conversations. It just tells us things were not going as planned. Not for Abram, not for Sarah, not for Pharaoh. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And somewhere in there is lost this tense conversation that must have happened between Pharaoh and Sarah. You're what? You're his... How? Why? What, what is he thinking? Why did you say, verse 19, she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Mm. Now then, here's your wife. Take her. Get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and he sent, them, uh, he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. Man, you ever had a long, quiet ride with your spouse when things were tense? That's sort of how I picture this, man. They're like, 
Oh, I'm your sister, am I? Wow. Talk about an epic fail. What a bad look, right? You know, I mean, he's, he's caught... He's caught lying, the man of God, humiliated. He had judged the Pharaoh, the king, to be morally inferior, and it turned out he was the one who was morally compromised. Oh. He failed the test. To save his neck, he shared hers. He failed the test. What was the test, though? You could say it was a, an integrity test. It'd be a good, good case for that. I could preach that. A test of morality? Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a test of, of faith. Those are all, those are all true, but I, I want to... I want to I come back to something else because I think it's also, maybe importantly for us, the test of importance. How important am I? Do you know who I am? I'm too big to fail. I'm so important, I can do whatever I want. That was Abraham. I'm so important to this whole thing, I can do whatever I want. In fact, I need to do this. You need to do this. I need to take advantage of you because I am so important. I can do whatever I want. The test of importance. You see, the test of importance comes up against this truth. You are not important. I had to write that like 10 times this week. It never sounded better every time I wrote it. You are not important. Let me say it, let me make it easier. You are not that important. That makes it better, doesn't it? I wrote it this way once. You are not self-important. That's easier. You are not more important. They, they just make it, I don't know, easier to swallow the truth that you and I are not important. When did you discover that? When was it you came to grips with the reality that I'm not that important? <laughs> no, this is not going where you thought it was going. Just hang on, don't give up. When was it you came to grips with the reality that I'm not that important? I'm not self-important. I'm not more important. I'm not important. Because it's an important test. A reality. And here's the truth. We live in an age and time where we are swimming in a giant sea of affirmation. 
You're amazing. You're the best. No one is like you. You can change the world. That's my favorite. I mean, I love it. I probably preached it if I'm being honest. A sea of affirmation. You're the greatest. You can do whatever you put your mind to. <laughs> ah. But then we come up against the brick wall of reality and, oh my goodness. Man, it can be a, a, a moment of self-discovery that's painful, can't it? My, uh, my son is a, a freshman in college and he's a, he's a business major and they pre-assign your classes. So he didn't have any choice. They just dropped him in this class. And uh, he goes to his very, his very first college class. It's the first class. It's 10 o'clock Monday morning. He walks into the class with this professor. And the professor's telling him everything that's going to happen in class. And he says, now here's what's going to happen. Second half of this uh, semester, you're going to do a team project. Lots of schools do this. You're going to you're going to uh, get together as a team. You're going to come up with a product and you're going to pitch the product and then you're going to raise money for the product. You're going to market the product. You get a sense of, I mean, so it's great, great exercise. And I'm going to let you pick your own teammates. We're going to have teams of five and you get to pick your own teammates. That's awesome, isn't it? And then he says, but man, <laughs> this is a true story. He says, you don't want to pick a slacker, do you? Like, you wouldn't want to pick a, a slacker on your team. And how would you know? I mean, I would know, professor, but how would you know? He said, so I tell you what I'm going to be doing this semester. I'm going to be posting all of your grades on the wall for everyone to see. <laughs> My son called me, Dad! <laughs> This dude is crazy. I mean, honestly, every week we would have Professor Attila updates. It was the best thing ever. I'm like, what do you do this week? Sure enough, next week, walks into class. They had a journal they'd worked on in the summer. There it is on the wall. He called me, he says, Dad, he put them on the wall, all of our grades. So my next question was, how'd you do? You know what he said? I wasn't at the bottom. <laughs> We're not used to that. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You see, we, we come up in impossible situations, in threatening, challenging, humiliating situations, we are faced with our own powerlessness. And therein we discover the test of importance. What will I do? Who will I take advantage of? What am I capable of because I feel threatened, embarrassed, challenged, cornered? The test of importance. You say, well, this is depressing, Ben. Well, actually, in truth, powerlessness 
teaches us something profound about who we are and how God is writing our story. That corner that Abraham found himself in, oh, by the way, did he learn his lesson? No. Fast forward a couple chapters, chapter 20, he does it again. Talk about a need for marital counseling. King Abimelech rolls it out again. And I wish I could tell you that was the end of the story. Chapter 26, his son pulls the same dumb trick. Hmm. But in the test, in the place of powerlessness, we, we discover something about ourselves that is profound and life-changing. I, I want to I read you a verse from Romans chapter 5, but here's what we discover. I discover my unearned value. Hmm. You see, my unearned value is far greater than my earned value. Here's what Romans says. It's one of the great central truths of the Christian faith. Here's how it says it. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, watch this, while we were still sinners. <laughs> while we were still it wasn't because we deserved it. We hadn't earned it. There was something in us of infinite, unearned value. And this is what we discover in the place of powerlessness. We discover that I have infinite importance value but it is entirely unearned you are important it's just not for the reasons you think you and you and you and I am important because we have an unearned value, the image of God in us. We are made by and for him. We are his. And that unearned value changes everything about us. Suddenly, I have an infinite importance. Listen, every parent knows exactly how this works. Man, I got to tell you, the thing I am missing most about having all of our kids gone is I got no, I got no concerts to go to, no school plays to go to, and no sporting events to go to. And I have lived for that stuff for the last, I don't know, 20 years, man. I have just, it has been one of the best parts of my life, and I am grieving. So I just go to other people's kids' games. But it's not the same. You know how you watch a game when your kid's playing, don't you? 
Your kid's third string on the bench. You just watch the bench. My kid, my kid, that's my kid over there. He's playing now, he's not playing, but look at him, man. He wears that outfit. I mean, you just, you can't take your eyes off, it's your kid. Team's up 52 to nothing. Your kid gets in for the first time. Check him out, he's in. Because it's my kid. I remember a couple years ago, my son was learning to play basketball, and he's fast, but he's not tall. And, uh, and, and in this particular game, it was, it was during COVID too, so they're all wearing masks, most ridiculous thing I ever saw, playing basketball with a mask on. But anyway, that's not political commentary. I'm just saying, if you saw the pictures, it was weird. And they're running up and down, and I, like I said, he's fast. And he got fouled in this game and sent to the line 15 times. You know what I did? I bragged to everybody. My son got fouled 15 times. <laughs> Your kid walks off the field? How'd I do? You were awesome. And you mean it. You know why? It had nothing to do with their performance. They had infinite, unearned value. No matter what they did, they were amazing because they were yours. They bore your image, and you love them. You see, you have infinite, unearned value. And maybe the reason we're so afraid of not being important is because we don't realize how infinitely important we are because of our unearned value. And maybe the reason we don't realize it is because we're so busy clinging to this earned value trying to make ourselves better and better and beat this one and beat that one and climb this one and climb that one and missing in our story is the infinite unearned value that I have in Christ there's something else that happens when I know my value I can see your value. I don't have to compete with you and beat you to feel better about myself. You ever been around someone that you felt like was always competing with you? Always trying to one-up you? Feels awesome, doesn't it? Love those people. Love that. Love that. Can't wait to get together again and have dinner. But when I discover my own infinite, unearned value, when I just catch a glimpse of it, 
I'm not even perfectly fully aware, but I catch a glimpse of it. I can't help but catch a glimpse of it in you. This is how it says it in Galatians chapter 5. It says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom. You've been set free because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life and how he loves you and how he saved you. You've been set free and use your freedom to serve one another in love. But the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when, when you see your your infinite unearned value, it actually sets you free to celebrate others instead of competing with them. I told this story a few years ago, but it's one of my favorite images. None of my kids through school played, uh, played instruments. One of them picked it up later, but, but we would go, some of them sang, and so we would go to these concerts at their school and uh, and and, and we, we got into a rhythm where they would, they would have all the different bands play. It was a big concert night, and they'd have all the bands play, and then and, and the choral play and that stuff, and they were singing, and so we, we would see everything. And I remember the first time we went to, uh, to the one at the end of the year, they always had the same thing. It was the end of the year. It was, it was senior recital, and, and whoever was the graduating senior, they got a special, they got a special recital. And there was one where uh, George Shar, who many of you know, he leads our, our orchestra at Christmas. Uh, he, he, would, he would lead the, he, he led the orchestra, he led the jazz band, he led a number of the bands. He plays for the Cape Cod Symphony Music. Incredibly talented guy. And, and honestly, sometimes, like, they would do, you know, you know, uh, like Bach music and stuff like that, and it's very, very frou-frou. You know, you clap like this, right? You know, and 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 then George would get up there and he's playing this and and he's leading the music and he's got a little bit of he's got a little bit of rhythm. You know, he's going like this, and then it get to the place where it was the senior's turn, and they would give in the middle of the song they would give the senior a solo. And, and, and I would watch as he's kind of leading. We're back here and we're leading and watching. And he would, he would go like this. And he would, this senior would stand and he'd stop everything while they're playing. You'd be like, look at this. You'd be like pointing, look at this guy. Like it was completely, it was completely out of character. It wasn't cool. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't proper. But he was like, look at him. And sometimes they were amazing and sometimes they were not amazing. But he's like, look at them look and then they'd sit down and he'd be like stand up stand up and he'd like look and he's celebrating them in the middle of the song and i'm like look at this guy these guys are ruining his song but it was all about them and man i love that picture and this is listen this is what happens in you when when you uncover the infinite, unearned value that Christ has placed on you and how he sees you, it sets you free in every way. And one of those ways is it sets you free. I don't have to beat you. I don't have to compete with you. I don't have to argue. I don't have to. I can just, I can just love you. I can just celebrate you. Man. Whew test of importance where I discovered 
my unearned value. I got to tell you, I've, <laughs> I think I've failed that test more than I've passed it. I mean, I didn't fail it as bad as Abraham, not going to lie, I never did that. You know my favorite part about this story? It's, it's right at the beginning. You know what that means? God didn't give up on Abraham. God made a promise. He made a promise, Abraham, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> he didn't give up on him. He didn't go, oh, what are you doing? I'm done with you. I'm going to go get me somebody else to make a great nation out of. Second time, that's twice, dummy. Doing that again, really? Hmm. I love the picture of God's infinite grace. How he stays with us and he pursues after us. How his love is relentless for you. Maybe, maybe you've just been kind of sitting on the fence with Jesus, just not sure, not going there. I don't know what I think about all that. Like that song we sang about surrender and giving, no, 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 no. I'm not giving Jesus no wheel of my life. And maybe you've been sitting there because you're afraid of who he is and what he is and what he wants from you. But I got to tell you, this same God, Abraham's God, is the God who loves you. And he's not giving up on you. And he believes you have infinite, 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 unearned value. You are more important than you can possibly imagine. And it's not because of what you do or what you haven't done because he made you and he loves you and he sent his son Jesus Christ for you and maybe today you're just at the point where you're like I'm ready to say yes to Jesus Christ I'd like to finish by giving you an opportunity to do that would you bow your heads with me our heads are bowed our eyes are closed it's just a moment of quiet us to sort of reflect on what God is saying to us what he's doing and maybe that's you and you're just here like Ben I'm ready say yes to Jesus Christ you're not saying yes to turning over a new leaf oh he's going to change you I mean it's, but you're saying yes to him his gift of forgiveness his gift of salvation you're inviting him into your life. And he will change you forever. And if you want that, then I invite you right where you're seated to pray something like this. Dear God, you know me. Everything about me. There's no secret that's hidden from you. And I believe you love me. 
that you sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to die for me so I could be forgiven. So here this morning, Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life. I say yes to you. I want to live my life fully for you. I pray in Jesus' name.